Join Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. If there's someone that you've built a great relationship with and leaving a company will destroy that relationship, then the relationship wasn't really that good. The the loyalty was based on what can what have you done for me lately? Not on the fact that I value you as an individual and I value your success as much as I value my own. This is the Business Leadership Podcast and I'm your host, Edwin Frondoso. Welcome. How are you doing today? How's it going? Thank you for taking the time to join us. This is episode number 84 and my guest today is Daniel Marquez. He is a leader in Accenture's strategy practice focusing on digital technology and AI strategy in consumer-facing industries. He's also a member of Accenture's Innovation Fellowship, a program focused on giving leaders the latitude to explore topics affecting Canada's future innovation potential. As a fellow, he focuses his research on understanding corporate disruption and how today's companies can stay relevant by becoming more resilient in the face of change. In our conversation, Dan shares and talks what business leaders could do to cope and deal with today's business landscape of increasing disruption. He shares three pieces of advice for people who are shaping their careers and want to capture all unanticipated opportunities. And he shares how to get authentic, honest feedback at work, which helped him continue to grow as a business leader. Our sponsors today are Pungo Payments, a business payment solution that instantly sends disbursements and electronic transfers at a fraction of the cost of checks and bank transfers. The Business Leadership Podcast is a friend of the ITWC Podcast Network and supported by our media partner, IT World Canada. Now, here we go. Welcome to the Business Leadership Podcast, Dan. Hi. Thank you for joining. I know this is for the listeners out there. Quick story: this is this is a long time coming. Me and Dan has been going back and forth. I, I actually initially, originally heard him speak, and I thought, oh, he had an amazing story. I want to get it. So, super happy to get you here, Dan. So, yeah, I'm very happy to be here. So, why don't we just start off by introducing yourself to our listeners? Tell us a little bit about who who is Dan, and what does Dan like to do when he's not leading businesses? Sure. So. I'm a career consultant. That's you know my my day job, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. Leader in the strategy practice uh, here at Accenture. Accenture is a large consulting firm, right? One of the the leading consulting firms globally. Uh, outside of work, I'm a uh, hardcore geek. Uh, everything geeky from movies to uh, to books. Play a lot of board games. Uh, escape room master. Uh, I've just finished. A couple of months ago, finished my 106th escape room with about 85% success rate across them. That's a big, uh, big win for me, at least. And also a new dad. So shout out to my wife, Erica, and my little one, Maddie. Oh, congratulations! Congratulations! I love the new fathers. I have. Uh, I'm a two. <laughs> I'm a two. I'm a two-year-old father, Dan. So. Uh, ah, okay. uh, 
I'm still, I'm a toddler father, so I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning. It's an amazing journey. Um, thank you for sharing that. Question for you. How does one become an escape room expert? Like, is there a league for this? Actually, there is one, but that's not really, I haven't gotten into that level yet. I have aspirations myself and my my team, which is composed of me, my wife, and our, our two close friends. We we just we got into it a few years ago as kind of an interesting thing, and then it got really addictive because we're all very intensely competitive people that like strategy games and everything. <laughs> and then we just kept doing them and doing them and doing them and seeking them out. So we've done them in Ottawa, Montreal, Vancouver, obviously pretty much everything here in Toronto, a few places in the U.S., uh, out in Hamilton, Burlington. Uh, we've just kind of gone all over to do these things and they're they're just really awesome experiences and we've gotten pretty good at it <laughs> last question on escape rooms because you know what i'm almost uh, ashamed to say this i've never done one i have a lot oh, of friends who've done unacceptable that. Yeah. gotta go <laughs> i know i know i mean i'm a, my question is with the 85 percent success rate which one was the most difficult that you guys almost quit before you uh before you um succeeded uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, I, I don't think that there's any that we've ever almost given up and then been successful. I think we have a pretty good method down for how we approach these. I think there's a few uh-huh. where we were within reach of the final win and we almost didn't make it. But but I think there was one we did that was really, really interesting. It was called Lost and Found in Chinatown, based in, in Toronto here. And it actually okay. involves you going outside of the escape room itself and going through downtown Toronto, through Chinatown to find a bunch of stuff. And we found out after the fact, we completed this room with just, I think, eight seconds to spare. We found out after the fact that we actually completed it on hard mode. We were moving too quickly and we were risking bumping up against the group in front of us. So they threw an entire extra section of the puzzle at us um, to, to slow us down. And we almost didn't complete it because of that. But then we found out that we had beaten this thing on hard mode and it was uh it was a a bit of a feather in our cap i guess oh my god that's amazing well i'm definitely gonna have to take you offline and and maybe tell me where to go that that could give me a confidence booster right (laughs) always willing to uh to bring someone into the fold and get them addicted to escape room awesome awesome so let's let's um let's get into it um, tell us a bit more. I know you mentioned who you work for, but tell us a bit more about Accenture. Mm-hmm. Um, what your current roles and responsibilities are and, and what you personally are trying to accomplish in those roles over the next, let's say, six to 12 months. Sure. So as I mentioned, Accenture, large global consulting firm, pretty much everywhere in the world, spanning pretty much every kind of professional services work that you can think of. Um, I'm a leader in the strategy practice in particular. I focus on technology and digital strategy, mostly for companies that are in what I call the consumer-facing industry areas. So products, companies, retailers, retail banking, uh, some aspects of public sector, telecom, things like that. I'm also a member of uh, a program that uh, the firm established last year called the Innovation Fellowship. So they picked about a dozen folks like myself, leaders in the firm, they felt had a bit of that innovation spark and asked mm-hmm. us to establish a platform to go and pursue something independently that we thought was relevant uh, to drive an innovation agenda with our clients here in Canada. So I've been in that program for a year. I think it's really valuable. I've been doing some interesting stuff there. Uh, so for the you know the coming year, 
partly coming off of that and partly coming off of a lot of the other work that I do, one of the things I'm trying to focus on is what I call um, the good to great agenda. Right? How do you help mm-hmm. some of these consumer-facing clients, especially in light of all the pressure that they're under, how do you help them go from being you know, a good, solid, fine company to being uh, amazing? Right? I think a lot of companies kind of settle for good enough, and I think there's an opportunity for them to strive for greatness, especially because they're under so much pressure. Uh, that they mm-hmm. haven't necessarily been under in the past. The other thing is uh, there's a kind of second hat that I wear outside of Accenture, a separate leadership role that I'm I'm personally very proud of, which is an organization that I got involved in a few years ago, and now I'm the CEO of, which is the University Consulting Group. So it's a, a nonprofit uh, charitable consulting firm that does pro bono strategy work for charities and nonprofits in Canada by by pairing up people from campuses with professional consultants um with with you know real clients looking for real work and and that's been a big you know other other part of my life that's been very important and that has been very successful over the last few years so something i'm I'm happy about as well well that's amazing that's uh i love to hear um from from folks in a leadership role that really really provide their time back to the community to really help especially for i guess a lot of missions that that are important to mm-hmm. to you right yeah absolutely i think people don't really realize the role that the charitable and nonprofit sector plays in in canada but it's it's huge way way bigger than i think everyone anyone recognizes and we just saw this as a natural opportunity to pair up the right people and help these organizations carve out more capacity by doing some of the strategic thinking that they rarely really have the time to, to focus on and spend the effort. No, that's great. One thing that uh, I wanted to bring back, uh, you had mentioned in terms of the roles that you're doing within the innovation, I guess it was an innovation fellow. Yeah, that's right. What are you seeing? Because, you, what, you know, going from good to great, I mean, that's a discussion I always talk about with many of my guests. But when you are sitting as a third party within the consulting, like, what do you feel or what are the common things happen when you are actually, you know, when they get that aha moment, they're like, yeah, we are doing something wrong and we need to get great again. Like, what have you saw like real quickly or any commonalities between your customers? I think the realization can sometimes come a bit too late for a lot of organizations, right? Especially in Canada. I think a lot of the corporate culture in Canada tends to be a little bit more conservative let's wait and see let's see where it's been proven out and then we'll and then we'll move and then we'll act and i think for the most part that's been fine that's been successful but now that things are moving faster changing faster it becomes harder to use those those kinds of tactics strategically to to stay relevant so those realizations are now starting to bubble up to the surface a little bit more frequently and what i'm trying to do is just be a bit of a catalyst for these people to uh, to come to that realization a bit faster, but also to say, not all is lost. You know, we've learned from a lot of these organizations that have cracked the code on how to be more innovative, how to change faster, and we have a good view that we think you can benefit from to take advantage of that, to change your organization, to take advantage of the same kind of stuff. Right. And when you talk to these organizations or the, those moments, do you personally see, is it, is it stuck within the leadership of those organizations or is it the entire culture already? I think it's both. I think that the leadership mm-hmm. breeds 
breeds the culture of the organization, and the two are very, very closely connected. But I think that often there's leaders that have the interest and have the appetite to move things ahead. But because of the way the organization mm-hmm. is structured, because of the historical precedent for how they've worked, how they've always worked for a long time, traditions, those kinds of things, there's a lot of inertia that organizations have to work through before they can build up any meaningful momentum and try to drive change. So a lot of the stuff that I've been focusing on in my research and the work that my team and I have been doing is not so much telling them what it looks like to be great, because they all know that. That's easy. It's trying to figure out Mm -hmm. what are those shortcuts they can take to circumvent a lot of this inertia and build up a bit of momentum somewhere that they can then scale out to the rest of the organization so they can short-circuit a little bit of that slowness um, without having to make some massive investment. Because the biggest, the big fear that I think a lot of leaders have is that when this conversation comes up and they talk to people like myself, I'm going to tell them, well, if you want to succeed, you need to make a billion dollar investment. And, you know, that's something that's <laughs> going to be really difficult for them to bring back to their boards, to bring back to their leadership. It's going to be hard to factor that into the strategy they've already have underway. So that kind of a message is what they're afraid they're going to hear. It's like you have to make some massive change or else. But I think that that right. message is a little bit, um, it's too too stark, too black and white. And there's a lot of things that they can do to start making making change happen um, that they can then build upon pretty quickly. And that's the kind of stuff that I'm trying to talk to these people about. Oh, that's very cool. And, uh, and, and it's really important uh, when I talk to any business leader or entrepreneur is really start, start small and get those like confident win projects in there yeah. so people could feel okay about, about moving forward, right? Exactly. I think, that's, I think that's really important. But I think the way that you do that so that it's not, it doesn't feel like you're doing it just for the sake of doing it, but that you're doing it because it is the first um, sign to the rest of the organization that this is the new way that this organization will work at the core of its business. I think that's the big difference. A lot of these companies will, they'll go and they'll make some one-off investment or they'll stand up a lab or they'll stand up something, but it's not, it's not connected to the way the company is actually trying to work. It'll be this one-off little pocket that's bolted onto the company and it's just set up for failure. I think if you take that and instead make sure that it's, it's positioned as we're starting to learn about a new way that our company will work from now on, that's a very different message. And, you know, functionally, it can look very similar in terms of how you actually structure it and invest in it. But I think how it's positioned and how it's framed and how it's supported at a leadership level, very, very different. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's super interesting. And, and I guess for me, I'm wondering how do leaders cope with, the, I guess, this increasingly complex environment that, you know, that they have to deal with in today's business landscape of, of increasing disruption? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. And, uh, the, the work that I did as part of this fellowship, it all started with one simple question, which was, why is it that organizations that we can observe, you know, that had at their disposal all the resources one could possibly want, a long-standing track record, a well-known brand, how is it that these organizations are being disrupted and are failing, right? How is it an organization mm-hmm. that should have everything at its disposal is still not managing to use that to, to stay relevant in the market? And I think that that speaks mm-hmm. to the core of your question, which is these leaders are trying to do everything that they're being asked of today while also trying to future-proof their company. And it's hard to balance both of those things. And we think the, the, the trick to that is that you need to make change a priority for how your company actually functions. Right? These organizations mm-hmm. that are 
you know, di- digital native entities that are that have really managed to crack the code and scale that consider themselves tech companies, even if they're really retailers or or telecom companies or whatever. Their their main differentiator is not the assets that they have or even necessarily the people that they have, but it's the mindset around continuously focusing on changing and exploring that what's next conversation. Yeah, and it's really putting and I think what I'm hearing, Dan, is is really putting that emphasis of having an environment of change mm-hmm. because nothing nothing should stand still. And I guess that's where where companies or leaders become complacent and they're they're just stuck to good, right? It's it's that full circle. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that a lot of the time it feels like it's outside of their control, or a leader will mm-hmm. have been the big innovator in the company, and that's what led them to their re- leadership position. But now that thing that was originally innovative that led them to their role, now that's a cash cow, well-established success for the company. And the idea of maybe having to sacrifice that to pursue the next big thing is, um, it's, it's understandably very scary. And helping them yeah. recognize that and think about how to start to explore that future without doing anything necessarily super drastic, I think that's the key to, to getting people to start to make those incremental steps. That's super interesting. So I'm wondering, how should people actually approach shaping their careers to capture all these like unanticipated opportunities that that may be in front yeah. of them? I would have three pieces of advice. I was you know thinking about this a little bit, and I think the first one is to recognize that uncertainty plays a big role in anyone's success. And I think anyone that says that it was completely their doing and they had total control over it the whole time, they're just kind of delusional, or they're a little bit more proud maybe than they should be right but so i play a lot of games i'll explain what i mean in in terms of games right if you're playing some kind of a strategy game a board game or whatever your goal is not necessarily to set a plan up front and then just lock it in and stick to it your goal is to have an idea of how you intend to try to win but make sure that the the lines of play the different the different ways that things could unfold you want to make sure that as many of those are well suited for you as possible, and that as as few of those are bad, or for the ones that are bad, that you're you're shielded or you're well protected from the risks associated with those, right? So I think opening yourself up to the potential of whatever may come your way, I think that's and at least for me that's certainly been a big factor in in what I believe is my success is like making sure that people know who I am, making sure that what I'm capable of is well understood, that it's out there, and then letting other people's thought process start to do some work for me and bring opportunities my way and to make sure that when those opportunities do come my way, I'm in a good position to act on them without having to, you know, then start to put in place the foundations to be able to, to respond to that opportunity. That's in the way that I approach this kind of stuff. No, that's great. And I mean, that that's really important and really understanding. And that, that I, I think that comes with awareness as well, um, Dan. So when did you like really realize those those three steps and really anticipating this and, and, and that I'm sure helped you build your career to, to the leadership type roles that you're in now? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think there's one other aspect of it that something I share with a lot of the more junior people I work with that has helped to open these kinds of doors. And, and it's the way that I... I try to interact with people, especially people that are much more uh, senior in an organization or much more junior, which is, I guess, early on in my career, I recognized people that are a lot more senior than you, they're not necessarily better than you, 
right? They are, they're older, right? They're you in the future. And I think once you realize that, right, you recognize that you still, there's, there's respect that you owe to these folks because they bring a lot of wisdom to the table. They have a lot of learned experiences that are extremely valuable. But that doesn't necessarily make them a better person than you. They totally might be, right? I mean, some of the people that that get into these senior roles, they do so because they were the absolute cream of the crop. And there's a reason why they're there and they're awesome. And you, you should respect that as well. <laughs> um, but But I think just assuming that they're better than you puts you at a disadvantage. And if you recognize that you could totally be where that person is 20 years from now, it lets you maybe have a peer level conversation with that person by recognizing that they bring a lot to the table in terms of their experience, their access, their visibility, their wisdom, but you bring a lot to the table as well in terms of your intellect, your fresh thinking, your alternative perspectives, um, you know, your, your access to, to a more, you know, a, a newer culture, the way that, you know, that the younger people are thinking. I think that I think that that has that has fueled a lot of the kinds of discussions I've had over my career that I think a lot of other people at my level or or wherever may not have been willing or comfortable to have by by positioning it as well. Why not talk to that person? That guy is just me twenty years from now, and I think the same is true talking to people that are much more junior than you. Once you're in a leadership role, is recognizing the same is true in the other direction. Just because you're in a more senior role or you have some authority, it doesn't make you better than these people. It, it just means that you bring something different to the table, but you should remember back to when you were in that role and you didn't have the opportunity to bring all of your amazing ideas to the table. You don't want to be in that position now that you're the leader. You want to make sure that that person's amazing ideas end up on your plate. I think that's an important. Yeah, thing. no, that, that's 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 super important. Thank you for sharing that. And you know, Dan, what was going through my head as well, and and I think uh, it's a journey that I'm going through as well. Just being a parent and remembering, because my daughter is two years old, two and a half. Like these are, I call them the you know the terrific mm-hmm. twos. Some <laughs> people call it the terrible twos, but it's also remembering that you were once terrific too as well right. and you probably and we probably forget what you know what they're learning and all these emotions and stuff like that and and, and it's such an important thing to remember and especially within management roles or being a senior level executive is is you know it, it doesn't have to be a huge conversation you have with a junior you could just have to you know give them a give them a quick vote of confidence or say great work out there great speed uh, great talk great presentation and i think that helps a lot of the people out there that are that are you know trying to impress and trying to build their career as well and speaking of careers dan i just want to i just want to get some insight if if there's any if there's any key decisions typically they are a difficult decision within you within your past within your career that you had to make that eventually allowed you to grow as the business leader you are today I mean, I think the the big one in my past was the decision to move from uh, the my my former employer, which is another another firm in the consulting space, to, over to Accenture. Mm-hmm. So I did that about five years ago. Uh, it was a very difficult decision at the time because even as a junior person, I think I'd managed to build a lot of very strong relationships across a lot of levels, both with people that were my you know, my direct peers that I had started there with, as well as with people that were much more senior in the organization. So that network, especially in a consulting environment, you can't put a price on the value of that network and that level of connectivity, right? People knowing you is really, really important in the consulting environment. But 
I recognized that there was a lot of things that I, I didn't like. I recognized that the nature of the change, which was both a career boost and accelerator for me, but also an opportunity to really focus in on the kind of work that I had a real passion for and, and double down on that kind of work. That was so important that it was worth the sacrifice, but it was, it was tough in, you know, the uncertainty recognizing I was, I was sacrificing something that I had worked hard to build over the course of a few years. Making that transition was, was difficult, but ultimately I think it was extremely worthwhile because I'm very happy uh, now with, with where I am at Accenture and, and what it's opened up for me in terms of opportunity. Hey there, biz leaders. I hope you're enjoying the conversation that I'm having with Daniel Marquez. If you are enjoying the conversation and maybe have any questions, comments, or feedbacks, please consider joining me on, on my free private Facebook group where I share daily insights, answer your questions, and connect you with other like-minded business leaders. Simply go to thebusinessleadership.com slash FB group or search for The Business Leadership Group directly in Facebook. Now let's get back to it. Let me let me just you know dig down a bit more in that because for the listeners who are out there who may be experiencing something very similar, they're sitting in a very successful role, successful organization, and an opportunity might come up. But loyalty mm-hmm. is there. People who gave you a chance, who helped you grow. Tell me how you know sort of that thought process and and maybe how long it took you to get to the decision to say, yeah, it's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna take this offer. Yeah, that, that's a really good question. And I asked the very same question of myself when I was making this choice. And I also asked it of some of the leaders that I respected at the organization I was at at the time. And the the leaders that I respected the most, their answer was was pretty clear. It said, if there's someone that you've built a great relationship with and leaving a company will destroy that relationship, then the relationship wasn't really that good. The, the loyalty was based on, you know, what can, what have you done for me lately? Not on the fact that I value you as an individual and I value your success as much as I value my own. The kind of people that will keep connected with you, that will, you know, if the opportunity arises, will try to find an opportunity to work with you again, but will continue to respect you for who you are and will celebrate your successes, even if they're not within your company. Those are the people that you need to keep close to you, that you need to keep contact with. Everybody else, they're valuing you for what you're capable of, but not for you as as a person. And that was that was a that was a huge point that I took away from that that conversation. It really helped me make my decision, and it's also helped to shape the handful of people that I I have kept in touch with, uh, and as people you know from the firm that I work with now have left and gone to other places. It's the same thing, right? Like I I keep in touch with with those people that I I just value the personal relationship. And if the opportunity ever arises to work with those people again, I will jump at the chance because I know that they're amazing, not in the context of this firm, but just in the context of, of who they are. Well, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, it is important. And I get a lot of people within my network reaching out to me with these situations. So it's a very similar thing that I talk about. And and the people that uh, will celebrate you, you know, they are more than your peers and colleagues. These people have become your friends and and. Be sure to keep them within your within your network and don't forget them because uh, they they helped you shape who you are. Um, just wanted to ask you 
Um, I'm having a great time, actually, Dan. This is this is awesome conversation. But I was wondering, if there's anything you could share? Like, what do you do now that ensuring that you're continuing to grow and develop as as a business leader? So I think the first thing, and something again that I learned from leaders that I respected years ago, is I go out of my way to get. And I think that a lot of people say this, but it's kind of BS. But I go out of my way to get authentic, legitimate, honest feedback, unvarnished feedback about what it's like to work with me from the people that I that I lead. So every year, I will get one of the junior people that I've worked with to facilitate a process to capture feedback, anonymous feedback, from all the other people that I've worked with, and then bubble it up to a more anonymized summary level and then share it back with me so that I can get a real view of... What are the great things about working with me? What are the really crappy things about working with me? What's the kind of middle of the ground stuff that could get better, could get worse? Would they work with me again? You know, do they value my leadership? All of those things. I value that feedback highly. I, I just finished this process about a month and a half ago, and I found the results of that really, really shocking and interesting and energizing, and, and in some cases a little bit concerning because they were things that I totally didn't think were were happening and then having access to that honest feedback that says hey sometimes when you are really blunt you come off as kind of a jerk and it makes me want to not work with you i did not know that right i did not know that about myself i didn't know that that happened sometimes but when i have that information when i have that feedback i can look back at some of the interactions i've had and see okay yeah maybe that could have come off as really as really harsh but that isn't even what i intended Right, So I think that, that kind of insight, also on, on the positive side, recognizing what are the things that people value about you, making sure that you don't let those things slide as your, as your priorities shift and as, as you get more and more responsibility, you don't want to lose the, the thing that people valued you for in the first place. So I think that that's one, right? having, having that honest channel of, of feedback, I think is really, really valuable. You mentioned, Dan, that you just finished this process recently. Um, can you share us maybe one, two tips how, how someone may start doing this if they've never done this before? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty simple. I, I mean, I think one is you have to make sure that whatever you're doing, there's some good mechanism to give people the confidence that they can share something without exposing themselves to risk, especially if you're in a leadership position. People recognize that mm-hmm. if they tell you that they think that you're you're an idiot, that might be a career limiting move for them, right? So they're not going to tell you that if they think that they might it might be directly tied back to them. So I think one is make sure that it's very clear and that it's built into the way that you've structured the process that you're you're valuing the information not because you want to tie it back to the person, but because you really want to do some introspection. So the way that I've I've done that is I work through a junior person that I can trust to take this information, anonymize it, and that I know that people will, you know, in turn trust to do the same. So that there's never any risk mm-hmm. that they see me sending out a request for them to fill something out. They're getting it from somebody else. Uh, so I think that that, uh-huh. that intermediary approach has been very helpful. And then I, on top of that, I think, you know, survey tools that anonymize responses are also good. The problem is that even when you do that, you still never know if, if it really is an anonymized thing or if they can go on the back end and check something. So I think that having that, that third person 
that helps you gives people the extra confidence to be really blunt and really honest. And I think the way that you actually structure your request, like I structured it by saying, tell me three things that you love about working with me. And then tell me three things that you hate mm-hmm. about working with me. I didn't just tell, ask people to tell me generically what's their overall sentiment of working with me. I asked them explicitly yes. to highlight the best and the worst stuff so that I would get access to that bad stuff that I could figure out how to fix and get access to that great stuff. I also recognized that there were some, some people that said things in both of those categories, right? I had some people that said, <laughs> I, I really value the feedback, and some people said, I'm not getting enough feedback. So that means that I'm also not being consistent. So I valued just getting that broad data set that I could use to try to guide my behavior. And I'm trying to act on, right? It's, it's difficult to change your behavior, but if you don't even bother, then you're never going to. If you only focus on trying to figure out how you're being viewed from above, you're, you're always going to limit yourself to being a manager of people and not a leader of people. That's perfect. Well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, it gave me ideas as well in terms of getting feedback for for the colleagues and the folks around me as well. So I really appreciate that. I would love to get your insight um, if you could name a person who had really tremendous impact on you as a business leader. It could be someone you've worked with, um, thought leaders maybe perhaps that you've followed, any, anyone that who, who you really look up to. Um, well, I mean, first, I think I, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't call out my parents. I appreciate, you know, everything they did. They instilled in me uh, a sense of how important it is to try to figure things out for yourself mm-hmm. and, and find your own path to approach problems. And I think that that is, that's been the bedrock of how I do all the work that I do today. So that's really served me, served me well. Uh, I think second, I, I can't really point to any one person. I have a, there's a handful of people, you know, over the course of my life, you know, there's seven or eight names that kind of pop up in, in my head. Um, I, I won't share them here, but but people that have played either a mentoring role or, or a guiding role, like the person that I alluded to that gave me advice when I was thinking about leaving my, my previous firm, that really helped to open my eyes to different facets of what makes a great leader, right? That, that um, you know, that, that prioritizing the individual the, the focus on, on honesty and transparency, all these things that have kind of amalgamated themselves into the blend that is now my own leadership style. So I see that in there. The other thing, though, that I, I think to highlight is I also see in there the, the inverse of all the really terrible leaders that I've ever worked with and worked for. Mm-hmm. I think I've taken note of those almost as much, if not more in some cases, than some of the positive mentors to say, okay, it's really great for me to know that I should never do this because it feels awful and doing that immediately kills your relationship with the people you're trying to lead. Those kinds of, those kinds of uh, very strong negative perspectives are as valuable to capture and try to act counter to, I think, than all the positive ones as well. So no, no specific indiv- one kind of shining individual, but there's been kind of a, a cast of characters over the course of my career, both very positive and very negative that I think have built the patchwork uh, of things that I consider to be my leadership style. Yeah, no, perfect. So I guess my, my only ask of you, Dan, is ensure that you reach out to these folks in the next <laughs> 30 days and just like give, give them a nice thank you. I'm sure they'll be happy to hear <laughs> Absolutely. from you. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll uh, be happy to hear from you, right? Brought back up a bunch of uh, you know positive recollections that, that make me want to circle back and just say thank you. And it's also brought back up a lot of negative recollections. I, I'm probably not going to fe- reach out to those people. But, <laughs> but, um, 
but you know, I, 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 I give thanks, I guess, in my own way, as I think about it to those people, yes. because they had a very significant effect, I think on what I have become and mm. in their own way. Right. It, but not, uh, not, not because it was well-intentioned. So they're, they're not getting a thank you card this Christmas. <laughs> awesome. Well, I mean, this next question is typically sometimes it, it gets, uh, gets my guests off guard it's a little fun but i feel like because you just finished the process maybe if i were you finished the process you might actually have a good answer to this so if i were to ask any of your team members colleagues peers past or present dan what's the best leadership quality you possess what would they say sure yeah so to your point i i did just finish this process and i have um I have the results here so there was there's was three that kind of bubbled up to the surface so one was mm-hmm. they said you know Dan is is a very innovative guy, and to that effect, he's very open to collaborating with people across levels, and he's open to ideas that aren't his own. And I think that that's kind of exemplifies what I said before. Like, I think I my success has been fueled by benefiting from the great ideas of other people that I've incorporated into my own thinking, into my own work, and then reciprocated back to them to say, you know, thank you for for contributing. You're part of the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, second one is um, Dan is always learning and always trying to provide people with the opportunity to grow as part of the work that he's doing. So, I mean, it's the reason why I'm in consulting. It's the reason why I do most things is I'm curious and I want to explore weird, complicated problems and try to solve them. So I think that's been at the core of what's driven most of my career is where can I learn something new next? And I try to bring as many people as I can along for the ride on that, on that front. Um, and then the last one was... Dan is appreciative and reciprocal of hard work. So it kind of speaks to what I just said. You know, you got to recognize people for the fact that they're, they're doing amazing stuff. They're going above and beyond. And I think, and this is something that I, I think I do fairly well, but I, I catch myself missing out on often is Mm -hmm. thanking people for the little things or recognizing people for, um, for the hard work that I think, can sometimes feel like it's just par for the course, but, but then you kind of look at what they actually did and accomplished. And and to them, it was a huge undertaking and they worked really hard because they wanted to go that extra mile. And it's really easy for you to just make sure that they know that you actually recognize that. Cause I, I recognize the hard work. I just don't necessarily verbalize it, but that verbalizing that little extra step that costs you nothing is just really valuable to make sure that people know that you know. And then on top of that, you have to make sure that your actions line up with it, right? You know, when, when it comes time to support these people and help them be successful in their own careers, you should be there. But even that starting point of just making sure they know that you know that it was hard work. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people, I think, just skip that step because they assume that it's implied. But it's, you know, it's not always implied or even if it is implied, it's still nice to hear it. I, I love that. And, and it comes back to the point uh that I had mentioned earlier, just just even even a pat on the back to someone who did great work. I think that that's very impactful for people who who really work work hard for the team in the organization. So I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing, Dan. Before we, uh, I'm like like I said, I'm having a bus. But what else is going on? Do you have any special projects, initiatives, or or maybe something really fun that you're super excited about? Maybe you're even losing sleep over it. <laughs> Uh, I'm losing plenty of sleep right now, but that's because of the small child in my home. Um, <laughs> but uh, in terms of you know exciting stuff that I've got in the works, 
I think there's there's some really interesting stuff that I'm developing as part of that innovation fellowship platform I talked about. I I publish mm-hmm. some of it uh, through through LinkedIn. Others of it that are still in the works, you know, are going to be unveiled in the next you know six months or so. I'm excited about that stuff. Mm-hmm. I can't really talk about it just yet. Uh, I'm speaking at a few conferences. Most recent one that's coming up is in a couple of weeks' time. It's called the Multimodal Americas Conference here in in Toronto. I'm talking about mm-hmm. the fourth and fifth industrial revolution in the industrial sector and transportation sector. So that's something I'm very interested in in talking about. And you know, as as you mentioned, we met at a conference I was speaking at a little while ago. So this is a kind of a sub theme of things I'm trying to do more and more of, which is I'm an actor by by heart. I've been acting for a long time you know, from, from childhood. So getting up in front of a group mm-hmm. of people, something I'm very comfortable with. So any opportunity I get to share my perspectives with a, with a big audience, I, I always take those. Um, and then I think the last thing is I alluded to it very briefly at the beginning, but the university consulting group, the organization that I run, um, we've been doing some really exciting stuff. We just kicked off our fall cycle. So we run two programs a year. So we just kicked it off with our record setting you know, 10 clients this year. So we're doing 10 projects in parallel uh, now through January. In January, we'll kick off another cycle. And that's slated to be even larger because we're we're going to be undertaking another expansion of our program. So we've gone from, uh, we've gone from doing, you know, two to three projects a year, a few years ago when we started to now doing, you know, 20 to 25 projects a year. So we've, we've grown by, you know, 5x uh, in just a few years, and, and we're not stopping anytime soon. So, so I'm super excited by that. And if if there's anyone out there that has a leadership role to play in a charity or nonprofit and is looking to get an organization that does real, you know, real high quality consulting work, uh, and get them, you know, get some help on on some of their big strategic challenges, I'm very excited to talk to you. So let me know. I l- I love that, and we'll be sure Dan to share all this information. Um, so. Um on the episode website. So if you're looking for that information, any non-for-profit leaders out there, definitely look out for Dan. But with that said, Dan, please tell us where we can find more information about you, Accenture, or any of like all the specific projects that you're working on or anything else you'd love to share. Uh, yeah, I think there's two, there's two channels, uh, LinkedIn. So I'm linkedin.com slash Marquez D. Uh, or you can look me up, Daniel Marquez at Accenture. I'm, I'm there. Uh, and you can also see what I'm posting. Uh, I probably don't post as much as I should, but I, I do, especially when I'm uh, speaking at conferences, on my professional Twitter account, which is at Disruption Dan. So uh, tied back to my disruption-based uh, innovation fellowship platform. So you can get a lot of interesting stuff that I post on all the topics that are very relevant to me through those channels. And if you want more information about the University Consulting Group, you can look them up at universityconsultinggroup.com. Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the Business Leadership Podcast. Thanks a lot. This has been a ton of fun. I've had a great time. That's it, biz leaders. Thank you for joining me on the Business Leadership Podcast. This was episode number 84 with Daniel Marquez. If you want to learn more about Dan, Accenture, or anything else we discussed, please go to thebusinessleadership.com slash 084. Our sponsors today are Pungo Payments, a business payment solution that instantly sends disbursements and electronic transfers at a fraction of the cost of checks and bank transfers. The Business Leadership Podcast is a friend of the ITWC Podcast Network and supported by our media partner, IT World Canada. Please join me 
on my free private Facebook group called the Business Leadership Group, where I share daily insights, I answer your questions, and I connect you with other like-minded business leaders. And if you have not done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, or wherever you're listening to your podcast today. Thank you again, and Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com. Okay.